Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello, welcome back. This is Adam Rosen, and you're listening to the Total Need Tips and Pearls podcast, where in this season, we're going over different classifications, common classifications that you're going to know about, learn about, get pimped about when you're on your orthopedic rotation. So um, if you're just tuning in for the first uh, episode again, uh, briefly, my name's Adam Rosen. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon, been in practice over 15 years. Um, And this was one of those things I'd always wanted to do was actually start a podcast just to share some of you know, my information, my knowledge with people outside of those individuals that I directly interacted with. Um, so the podcast first season that you heard, um, hopefully you've listened to it already, was an outline that I had developed for a while. I wasn't sure how to get it out there. So I've had some people ask like, well, how did you get started with a podcast? What did you do? Uh, I looked online for a few different places and um, found a Buzzsprout, which you know I thought was very interesting, super easy to use. Um, I was actually super impressed because as I started looking into different hosting sites, um, I had finally decided on Buzzsprout, signed up, set everything up, and had some questions that you know just sent into the you know info sort of email and got a response back. You know, sincerely, Priscilla. And I wasn't curious, or I was curious, you know, is that a real person? Is it just a bot, you know, sending an email back? And she assured me, nope, she was a real person, and we responded back and forth, and she was great at answering questions, and they've been that way ever since. So it made my job quite easy, because I was able to just, you know, create the files, edit it, upload it, and then it is a seamless transition. So if you're interested, you know, in podcasts, um, you know, check out Buzzsprout. I think they make uh, this transition from someone that knows nothing about how to podcast um, to making it pretty easy to use on a regular basis. Now, um, on today's episode, what I want to get into, uh, keeping with the theme of classifications, we're actually going to talk about two today, specifically with regards to hip fractures. Um, And probably one of the most common and classic classifications that we talk about is the garden classification, but it sort of goes against the things that I've talked about before, where we want a classification that is reproducible. And this is one that's been proven over and over again to not be super accurate, you know, when you have people classify it. And the important thing that I want to do is is in this specific instance is talk to you not only about the specifics of knowing the classification, because a lot of people mess it up and get it wrong, you know, but also what I do in practice and like how do I use the x-ray and the classification to make a decision on how I'm going to treat someone. So Garden um, first published this. This was in the JBJS British 1961. So that's when this um, article came out, and it was entitled Low Angle Fixation in Fractures of the Femoral Neck. And when he he did this, it's a really interesting article, because if you go back and read just in the introduction, you know, he talks about these things that I'm sure most of you have never seen, or maybe you saw it on an x-ray and someone's like, what is that? And the attending, if they were old enough, said, oh, it's, it's this or that. So he talks about the Smith-Pete nail and the Jewett nail and the Kushner nail. Um, and it goes into all these, you know, different things. But again, this was this was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking 80 years ago, you know, when he published this article. So obviously things have changed. So let's jump into his classification. You know, by now, hopefully, you know, there's four types, one, two, three, four. Um, and if you look at one and two, 
they are you're supposed to be non-displaced uh, fracture, and three and four are your displaced fractures. Now, let's talk about the type one, just because that that is, I think, the one where people mess up the most. So, you know, he's talking about subcapital fractures, and, and in his original article, he described it as stage one. Um, commonly, about people talking about type one garden, but he, he described it as stage one. Now, this is an incomplete fracture. So this means that the fracture is not complete. So if you see any break in the inferior cortex, it is not, by definition, a stage one. And that is a big mistake a lot of people make because they've been taught and they memorize valgus and pactin. So you see a two, which is complete. The inferior and super aspect of the neck are broken, but the head is still in valgus. Yes, the head is in valgus, but it is not a stage one because it's an incomplete fracture. You know, and the other things you'll notice or pick up on shortening, right? If the inferior neck is intact, there should be minimal shortening. It's just the top is hinged. And if it's type two, it's complete. It may be in varus, it may be neutral, it may be impacted, it may be in valgus, but it's complete. It went through the superior aspect of the neck and the inferior aspect of the neck on that AP x-ray. So just be aware of that major difference because I see a lot of people will call a two, which is completely fractured through the neck, but in valgus, a type one, but valgus impacted by definition means that it is incomplete. The inferior cortex is intact. Now, stage three, or what a lot of people call type three, is a complete fracture, um, but with partial displacement versus the non-displaced fracture of the type two. Um, and type four, stage four, is a complete fracture with fully displaced. I mean, these are the obvious ones where, you know, the neck's like sitting above the acetabulum. And those those are sort of no-brainers. Now, what is interesting, though, from a historical standpoint is when he treated all these with Jewett nails, you know, he went on and recommended full weight-bearing, you know, encouraged when possible. So even back then, 80 years ago, they were putting a nail in, full weight bearing, but also these patients spent weeks in the hospital. Um, and, you know, back then there was a an, an issue that they saw with healing. So even when they tried fixing these, you know, this was after, and again, they talked about fully reducing the fracture. It was very, very different. And so these are fully reduced fractures treated with a Kushner nail. They only found that 50% of the stage fours or type fours healed, you know, where now typically you're treating that with arthroplasty, you know, unless it's Someone super young and we are trying to save the neck. Um, and then, you know, AVN is the thing that we we talk about. Even in his article, he talked about how um, in 1958 and uh, the French, and I, I always kind of bugger up his the pronunciation of his name, but Dubonnier um, noted 50% AVN rates in subcap fractures. You know, we still know that those rates are high and not as high for all of those stages. Um, but when the vascular supply is disrupted with those higher stage threes and fours, that if you did try to fix those uh, versus going to an arthroplasty, that your risks of AVN are higher. Now, the interesting thing, actually, now that we're talking about it, I actually didn't look it up, um, but it's something that I do do on a regular basis is the idea of this sort of intraarticular um, uh, compartment syndrome and you know large hematoma in the joint. Uh, so one of the things that I do do on a regular basis is if I am treating one of these with cannulated screw fixation, you know, versus arthroplasty, a lot of times under guidance with the fluoro, 
you know, putting a needle in the joint and decompressing the joint. Sometimes I get nothing. Sometimes a drop or two of very thick, you know, hematoma blood. But, you know, on occasion, I pulled out a good 10, 15 cc's in the hopes that, you know, that decompresses the joint, um, improves the vascularity to the femoral head and may potentially decrease, you know, the rates of AVN. But I don't have an article to quote you on that now. Now, the other classification, though, that I want to talk about, because sometimes they get used together, um, and I think they're they're useful in some ways, is the Powell's classification. This was first described in 1935. And, and again, sometimes people mess this up. So, you know, he talked about, you know, Powell's 1, Powell's 2, Powell's 3. And this is on an AP X-ray. The angle, what we're talking about, is from the horizontal. So if you're kind of, you know, trying to remember the vertical horizontal, just remember that the Powell's 3 is a more vertical fracture. And a Powell's 1 is a less vertical fracture. So a Powell's 1 is a fracture line off the horizontal, up to 30 degrees. Two is 30 to 50 degrees, that fracture line in relation to a line drawn across the horizontal. And a PALS three, the fracture line is vertical. So it's greater than 50 degrees from the horizontal. These are the most unstable, and these are the ones with the highest risk of AVN. So when you're looking at these, you may sometimes take those you know, in conjunction that you know maybe you have you know, garden one, two, and you're thinking, should we pin these? But it's also a PALS three. Eh, you know, your chance of failing is probably a lot greater. Whereas, you know, if you have a, a garden one, two, and it's PALS one, you know, maybe maybe the risk of healing is better. Um, now, the other thing too, um, just as it's a, it's one of those things, I think it's worthwhile knowing. Um, it may be a pin question that you get asked. I find a lot of the residents sometimes haven't heard of this yet, but be aware of something called Ward's triangle. It's something that we will also talk about in hip fractures, especially with osteoporosis. So this is this triangular area in the proximal femur that is made up of these lines, the primary and secondary compression and tensile lines. This was actually first described in 1838, so a long, long time ago, but look that one up. That's a good one for you to know um, from an anatomic radiographic um, extent. So that being said... Um, what do I do? So, you know, this is this becomes the big question, I think. Sometimes things are easy, right? You got someone with arthritis with a completely displaced femoral neck fracture and otherwise healthy community ambulator. Pretty much most places in the world now are going to be doing a total hip replacement. I think the harder part, though, are these incompletes, like, do I pin it? Do I not pin it? So in a true garden one, in a true valgus impacted, in a true hip fracture, which is incomplete and the inferior cortex is intact. Those are the ones where I'm typically pinning. I try to aim, you know, for an inverted triangle. Um, and, you know, for the most part, you're looking at these patients and saying, you know, healthy, not healthy, stabilized fracture, protect the neck, you know, less invasive. Um, in my opinion, definitely less risk than an arthroplasty and give them a good chance of healing. And then if it fails, it's something that you can always convert. Now, I think the harder part is, you know, do you pin grade, you know, grade two or, or stage twos? Um, and the answer is sometimes. Who are they? So, you know, I kind of break this down into two main groups. So I have some of these stage two fractures that, you know, patient hits the floor, can't bear weight, presents, you know, via ambulance to the ER, inability to bear weight, in pain. Um, and it's a two but they're painful, they can't bear weight. Now, the other thing that we didn't really talk about also, though, is which is also important is the lateral. You know, something, again, one view is no view. So something may look great on the AP and be completely off on the lateral. So, 
you know, with these twos, you really have to kind of differentiate. Is it a two? Is it a three? Um, just because it looks lined up on the AP doesn't mean that it's truly lined up on the lateral. But we're talking about a true, you know, stage two where it's complete, but it's really non-displaced. It's impacted. If that person can't walk, can't bear weight, in my hands, in my opinion, that's the person I'm talking to, but I'm offering them arthroplasty. And, you know, younger, active individual, arthritis, total, um, if they're, you know, older, sedentary, lower demand, may already be on a cane or walker, that's something, someone that I may use a hemi on, uh, and, you know, have that full discussion on what are the pros and cons, risks and benefits of both. Now, there are the people, though, and I get this, you know, I just on call last time, I had two patients like this. Phone call from the primary. My patient fell two or three weeks ago, had pain for a couple weeks, presented to my office. I sent it for x-ray three days ago. I just got the report back. It says they have a hip fracture. You know, that is the one that, to me, has proven that it is inherently stable. This person's been walking on it for two or three weeks. So, you know, to me, in my opinion, that's a big stretch to then go in and take the head out um, and go to a total. Because obviously this is a community ambulator. I'm not going to do a hemi on this person. I'm going to do a total. And and you have the discussion with them. Hey, we can go in and do a total. This is, you know, the hip replacement versus, you know, this is the pin. If it fails, if you do develop AVN, if it collapses, if it doesn't heal, um, and also talk to them about shortening. You know, if you develop significant collapse and shortening, and that's significant along with pain, you know, then a conversion to a total hip replacement. And 99% of the time, patients are going to say, yeah, you know, get pins, give me pins and let this thing heal and I'll worry about it later down the road. Now, threes and fours, you know, hemi versus total. And that becomes a decision based on a lot of factors, right? You know, what is their age? What is their functional status? You know, just talk to them. A lot of times you can make, if you're on the fence, you just talk to a patient and really quickly in a conversation, you can kind of get a feel you know, this person may be better with a hemi. They're already on a cane or walker. They're in a nursing home. They have some dementia. They have Alzheimer's. Um, a larger head gives you a better chance for stability, you know, versus the total where the head's going to be smaller. You may use dual mobility or some other type of option, um, but definitely be concerned because the other thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure that you may have seen this now, is that it seems that every single time you do a hemi or total for a neck fracture, like how big is the head? 46, 48. You know, you're lucky if you get a 50 cup in with certain implant companies, you might get a 36 head. But if you're using, you know, a, a single, you know, head um, liner construct, you're looking at like a 32 head for a hip fracture where high risk, which is why a lot of people are going to dual mobility. So you get a larger head size in those smaller cups. It's rare to have a neck fracture and put a 58 millimeter cup in, you know, so if you're going to go to a 48 you know, size head, it's sometimes nice to have the unipolar, um, or if you choose to use bipolars, you know, you can use bipolar, but at least you get a larger head in there for the hemi um, versus a 32 for your routine total if you're treating that for hip fracture. So again, um, guarding classification, stage one, two, three, four. One, again, don't forget, valgus impacted, yes, but incomplete, the inferior neck is still intact. Two is complete, but non-displaced. Three, complete and partially displaced, four complete, fully displaced, and then PALS classification, PALS one, two, three, a line drawn off the horizontal, and then the angle where that line off the horizontal then um, comes through the fracture line. PALS one, up to 30 degrees, PALS two, 30 degrees to 50 degrees, and PALS three is greater than 50 degrees. And again, 
Um, go ahead, look up Ward's Triangle, check that out, just put that in your brain for your armamentarium of Hip Fracture 101. And then um, keep keep listening. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Um, your other co-residents or maybe medical students on service, um, share this with them. I have a lot more classifications coming up. It's just, uh, there's so many classifications, and uh, honestly, not in any particular order of importance, just trying to pick and choose um, what to put up there for you, but you have some uh, good ones coming up in the next few weeks. So in the meantime, keep reading, keep studying, take care of yourself, take care of your patients. Thanks for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Until next time, stay safe. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.